Welcome to the Fun Engagement Pod from Fun Insights, bringing you insights straight from the experts. You can join the Fun Engagement Network at funinsights.co.uk and we'll let you know when new episodes come out. We're also on Acast, Google, Apple and all major podcasting platforms. This stuff is the future. 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 Welcome to episode 16 of the Fan Engagement Pod. This one's a bit special and is with Gavin McGaw, Managing Director of Corporate and Brand at Hanover Communications in London and former Director of Marketing and Communications with the EFL under Lord Marwinnie, though in those days it was the plain old football league. He started out at the Conservative Party where he held a number of senior media roles including heading up the party's rapid rebuttal operation. He now advises organisations and blue chip companies on reputation. He's someone who I like as a fellow public relations professional because he gets the critical nature of stakeholder relationships with companies and organisations. This conversation looks at a really important thing for all businesses and organisations, including football clubs at the moment, resilience. It also looks at how important it is for both clubs and leagues to treat fan engagement as a branch of stakeholder engagement. We also look at strategic leadership of the leagues, the FA, also touching briefly on regulation. It's a high level of insight from someone who I've long liked and respected and who, alongside Lord Marwinnie and his colleagues at the Football League at the time, made a tangible difference to relations between fans and the EFL when I worked for Supporters Direct. You can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. We're launching some exciting new services for members only soon, so please do join up. There's something that you talk about at, at the moment um, called resilience, a, th- a term called resilience. I mean, in, and in amongst all these terms, um, I think that's a really important one at the moment. Can you just explain a bit about that and and what that what does that mean in general terms for business? What does resilience mean and what does it, how do you build resilience into a business? And then just reflecting on football and how, how especially at a time when resilience is almost impossible because you have no income stream, no, yeah, less of your regular income stream, you know, how does resilience apply to football? Sure. Well, resilience is actually quite simple. It's about getting an organization ready to face what, whatever's thrown at it and a lot of the time i will go into blue chip organizations sporting bodies whatever to identify reputation gaps that exist so that's a gap between what people say and what they do and the bigger that gap the more likely when a crisis hits whether that's covid whether it's a scandal whatever it is that that organization is going to face significant reputational hits and potentially a threat to its future So good organizations are proactive in identifying the things that they're saying they're doing, but they're not, and seeking to operationally change things. It's not a communications job, it's a management job. And I work a lot with senior leaders to help them understand why being proactive on that front is important. It includes looking at a set of metrics which you develop to ascertain whether you are bringing stakeholders with you, 
whether you are making huge errors, whether there's a sentiment out there which is positive or negative. None of this is about covering up things which you're doing badly. It's not about covering things up. It's about making sure you're fixing problems so you're not getting the organization in trouble further down the line. And as we've seen with COVID, we've seen a huge number of organizations face a need to rewire. Sometimes it's because of their financial setup, they're overly leveraged. Uh, sometimes it's because of the simple crises response, they can't operationally respond in the right way. And some of it's reputational, where they've talked a lot about purpose, but in the crises, they've not lived up to that. When you look forward and into football then, and how that impacts football, I think the work that you do actually on fan engagement is absolutely at the heart of this. Organisations with disenfranchised stakeholders are in a terrible state. They are less resilient than those who look after their stakeholder base and who communicate with them in the right way, not at them, communicate with them and engage with them and listen to them and have conversations with them. It's all about that engagement. It's not just fans, by the way, it's a whole stream of stakeholders when it comes to football clubs, uh, including community activists, community bodies, the players themselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But football has a big opportunity to make itself more resilient by making sure they're bringing those stakeholders with them as local clubs, but also making sure that their reputation gaps are as narrow as possible. And that particularly comes to the way they run the organisations. You, know, you can't talk about a well-run club and be paying players 99% uh, of your revenue. You know, it doesn't work like that. You have to be able to make sure you're holding up your values uh, in the business plan or in, in what you claim is your business plan in the reality of what the business looks like. And there is a disconnect there in football, partly because we have a lot of people who get involved from an ownership perspective and get very excited uh, and think they can beat everyone else in their league from a business management perspective and just find themselves losing a lot of money. And uh, that is the reality, particularly of the Football League or the EFL. So th these principles, these, these, what, you know, what you've been talking about, this is something um, that, you know, because you'll often get people talking about um, size club um club x being you know might have an average gate of five thousand versus club x y that has a, an average gate of 50 and oh, it's a different order of problem and you know if you if you're smaller it's it's um it's easier to do good fan engagement and to 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 to, to do those things if you're if you're a, you're a smaller business um is that just being a bit lazy do you think is is it is it a different order of problem communicating with listening to your stakeholders your fans at, 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 you know and obviously you can relate this to to, to to business more generally you know is it a different order of problem is it a very different problem or is it actually conceptually it's exactly the same thing it's scale and then yeah there's profile but really the problem is the same thing do you listen to people and and do you respond and do you pivot as a as a, as a club as a business as a result where it's necessary from what you get back from your from your fans, from your stakeholders? I think it's exactly the same thing. There are, of course, micro-elements of it, which will be different. For instance, if you've got 50,000 fans, there are 500,000 fans or 5 million fans, 
you're going to have to be engaging with them in a different manner. You're going to have to be listening to them in a different manner because you've got 50 fans and you know them all by name. There is a sort of, there, there, there is a similar items which will keep coming back over and over and over again. So it does change the tone of the relationship. But the principle of it is the more you listen to, the more you have a conversation with people, the more they back you in any business. And this is, the, I, the, I agree entirely with your viewpoint, Kev, on this. And it, football is like any other organization. Absolutely, it has more of a community purpose, in my view, than most businesses. But it is like any other organization in the sense that it should be run properly. And one of the key things about running organizations properly is to make sure you have the trust of your key stakeholder groups. Fans are a key stakeholder group. They are your route to success. They are part of the success and incredibly important to that. If you can bring them with you so they feel they belong and they feel they trust the strategy that you have, you will make success even easier commercially on the field of play beyond that. The difficulty is when people aren't listening, aren't having conversations and aren't engaging properly with fan bases or any other stakeholder groups, you lose that. But if you can build trust, you can then have disagreements about ways forward, but they just have to trust you've got the, 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 the club or the purpose at the heart of what you're doing. So, so it's about, you know, essentially then the hard wiring of these habits, if you like, the culture. Um, yeah. And do you... And systemizing it, Kev, as well. You know, right, well, that's what, yeah, that's what I was going to ask about. So systems, when it comes to fan engagement, would be, say fans parliament having regular fans forums to show a sort of great deal of transparency across a big group of people yeah. um, good relationships with the with with individual fans organizations so those are the sorts of things we're talking about can you you know that we obviously we, i measure those in the fun engagement index absolutely i think you know i think the more clubs can speak with not at fans the better the, the when you do create a situation or a spiraling negativity if all you're doing is communicating or broadcasting at fans and not speaking with fans okay that's the reality it's the same in life in general the same with any big blue chip organizations the same in politics you know at the minute in politics we've got a um a, a political leadership who are stuck in a campaign mode so they're broadcasting at us they're not necessarily listening and having conversations with us and that just breeds contempt and uh some of which is unfair, some of which is absolutely valid. Um, but it just ensures that they find themselves on a negative uh, footing from the very, very start. Organisations who can go and listen may get negativity to begin with, but the more they listen, the more that negativity moves away. And people start being positive about the conversation and positive that the actions they're taking and the systems they're using will be ones which show they're at least listening whether they take it on board and change is another thing but listening is the first step the other point is every organization should have metrics for measuring what stakeholders think my on a very very basic level any organization that have those metrics in place whether that's you know sentiment of uh, fan surveys whether it's media whether it's political commentary whether it's complaints whether whatever it is and they can get that insight from numerous sources within their own organizations, from big clubs to small clubs to whatever organization it is. Just having that metrics, which is rag rated against certain targets that they have, 
bringing that to management meetings and also board meetings on a regular basis makes sure the system is in play and it's not forgotten about. And that small, that, that small action of doing that makes an organisation better. And in football, it definitely makes clubs better. So how much, um, you know, talking about system, making make it part of your system, systematising it, I think is probably the right word, isn't it? Um, how, how much do you think, um, I mean, organisations in general, I'm going to always pull it back to clubs, but, um, but how much do you think, on the one hand, tech has been, an, you know, it's been a fantastic disruptor. It's given us the opportunity to be able to hear voices we wouldn't always hear. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's not such a good thing, but it gives you that opportunity. How much do you think that can then be used almost as an excuse not to do the sort of physical um, listening, the, you know, having to have the, do the, the, doing the hard yards of having the meetings and the conversations, you know, is tech too often lined up as a, you know, as a, as a kind of block to having to do too much <laughs> of the actual, you know, hard yards? I, th I think it's both. I don't think there's a simple answer on this. Um, I think I think tech is enormously valuable tool for insight gathering and to allow fan bases to have conversations with you, particularly those who won't necessarily be passion is the wrong word, but be willing to give up time or just unable to give up time because of family commitments or external commitments for life that they normally would be. And as a result of tech, we are hearing. A probably a more wider spectrum of voices about and getting a, a wider viewpoint but you can't have just that you've got to also have the face-to-face -face interaction and um, because that really does build up trust so the two things together work in concert in my view to build trust in the approach any leadership team's taking and as i said trust is the base of the pyramid if you can get trust people may argue with decisions you make but they know it's coming from the right place and then everything will be okay. The problem is trust is often lacking because we've disenfranchised the stakeholders. And to me, it's actually quite a simple thing to fix. At times you have to apologize and just move on. At times you've got to show that you're willing to take a different approach. At times you've got to ask other people for their expertise uh, from the fan base or from other stakeholders. Uh, but you just need to move things forward. And often we get stuck in a trap of it's them and us, in, particularly in sport, when it doesn't have to be like that. And the negativity that will come in the initial stages of uh, the proper interaction, if you decide to go that route as a club or any organization, it will disappear once you continue it. If it looks like you're doing it just for PR or just as a stunt, that will continue. But if you embed it within your uh, principles and your systems, it'll disappear that negativity. There's only so long people can shout at you, trust me. <laughs> so there's a curious thing I think that happens in professional sport. Um, well, certainly when you have sporting clubs. And obviously I see that most and you will too in football, but I'm sure it applies, you know, um, I speak to people at Warrington, uh, the chief executive of Warrington Wolves, and I'm sure he has Carl, Carl uh, Fitzpatrick. I'm sure he has the same problems. How much do you think um, that the actual team management becomes the face of the club and often kind of gets rolled out when, you, when you're talking about fan engagement uh, or, the, or the, the morale of fans and how fans feel that it's so often pegged 
not to the actual club itself and how people feel about the club and you know whether they trust the decisions that are being made, but actually, there, there's the head coach, there's the manager, the, 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 there's the first team. That's you know that that that's you know if that's all going fine, then we don't need to worry about anything else. Do you find that happens a lot? Um, you know, and and again in the in a similar way to how tech is used to avoid having to to do the hard yards of the listening in in person and face to face that sometimes clubs use um the sporting side the first team the the manager the head coach as a way of not having to to do the hard yards of engagement but i i, I don't necessarily think it's clubs seeking to do that i think it's the reality of the media landscape that we live in um but they can definitely do a better job um you know it's there's an absolute link between the way that we present coaches and team managers and success on the field of play. Um, if you look at how the FA changed the game from a media perspective going into the Russia World Cup, um, they presented Gareth Southgate, and I, I was involved behind the scenes on this, in a very, very different way. And it also made the players more open to provide comments outside of the game structures, but protected them in the lead up to the game so they could protect performance. That change in dynamics and then pushing any more corporate messages uh, from the leadership of the FA really, really was effective. It really was. Now, don't get me wrong. If there's a case of racism in the ground when England are playing, Gareth Southgate is going to get asked a question on that. And it's probably his comment that's going to be taken. But that is the reality. Dealing with that as it goes is fine. They're not necessarily pushing him into the next two comments. And I think we see this across the board. It's just being smart about it. Where you can move your executives into play to talk about the strategy of the organisation, that's good in my view. But the vital, vital thing in all of this is making sure everything joins up. So people understand what the manager's saying and where it fits into the overall plan. A really interesting thing for me was watching or listening to the comments about Leeds United being promoted. And I don't say this as a bitter Fulham fan. They were the best team in the championship. They deserve to go up. But the first comment I read on Sky Sports News that night was someone senior in the club, not from the playing side, I don't think, saying we should be in the Champions League. Now, I don't think that benefits the on-field performance because people have it in for Leeds because just because they're a big club and people have it in for a club like Leeds. Um, and next season surely is about consolidation in the Premier League and putting pressure on in that way. It may well be the strategy or the, the, the objective of the strategy to deliver that within X number of years. But talking about it publicly puts pressure on the, the management team, in my view, and the players in a negative sense. It means every, every performance is judged on that basis. And that's not smart. And it, so it works in both ways, you know. Um, you need the whole thing working in concert where executives and the management team, the team management team, know the strategy and know the messaging they want to push, which shows that they are sticking to the strategy. And it's not a short-term thing, it's a long-term thing. I think the FA and the England setup have got that brilliantly right with Gareth Sidegear and their senior management um, because they're all aligned. They know what they're doing and why they're doing it. But then, I mean, I would I would say that prior to, um, certainly from my experience, prior to uh, the, the the report that Greg Dyke commissioned, which in parts was very unpopular because because he kept banging on about um, B teams, um, 
but actually the thing uh, you know the thing that I felt he achieved most of all was he cleared the clutter out um, and he allowed the FA to become focused on what its core mission was and that was the interesting part and it's a bit of an indulgence me talking about this but I think it's something that that's relevant is that I used to say to people I mean I penned our response at supporters direct to that to, to, to his commission and my view was that you would only really see the effects of what he did in the way that this is the way Greg Dyke works anyway, I think in everywhere he's been, you'll only see the real effects of what he did several years after he's left, because what he does is he, he, he brings in uh, long-term change. Um, and, I, and that's perhaps what resulted in the alignment in, in the FA. And I certainly felt that. Um, in the last yeah, I, 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 would, I would take a slightly different perspective from looking in. I think, you know, I don't want to be unkind to anyone, but I think certain leaders of the FA in the past have been more focused on making noise. The leadership team with Greg Clark and Mark yeah. Glenn and now Mark Billingham, from my perspective, have been more interested in delivering a strategy for the whole game. And um, I think the results are telling because they're achieving things. Um, and that's really quite exciting. You know, I'm, I'm not English, but I, I would be quite excited if I was English. Yeah. But I mean, in the end, we'll, I think what we're, you know, what we're kind of coming down to is the, the necessity of, um, of strategy being clear, of yeah. even having one. Um, and uh, if you're going to communicate effectively with a group of people who, in the end, if they don't come to your matches, you don't have a football club, um, the necessity of communicating clearly with them. You know, this is, this, is strat this is strategy in a practical sense, isn't it? Actually... Strategy can be quite a dull conversation, um, not between strategists, but, you know, a lot of people find it a very dull issue. But actually, this is what happens when you get it right. And we know yeah. what happens when you get it wrong. I, look, I couldn't agree more. If you look at the IFA, the Irish Football Association, they have pretty much delivered two five-year strategies in a row under a guy called Patrick Nelson, former Macclesfield CEO. And that's unheard of in, in sport. And uh, there are their first five-year strategy was to make it to a major championship, which they did in 2016, which led to lots of fun for me and my mates in France. Um, and, uh, you know, an absolute joy for me and my son. And, you know, we'll never, ever forget that. And it's bred a whole new generation of fans and people playing the, on the fields of, of Belfast and beyond in Northern Ireland. And it's been fantastic. The FA have really started delivering on strategy, which I think is really exciting. I think the Premier League, exactly the same and they get criticized by everyone massively unfairly in my view i think the premier league are the organization in football who are driving things forward and innovating better than anyone else um, and i they get a lot of criticism but they just keep going and doing things right and the new ceo richard masters is brilliant at that and they've got a new chairman on board as well to innovate even further so i think Football has never, ever, ever, in my view, had the talent that it has around the top table as it has today. I really mean that sincerely, and I've been around that table in the past. And these guys, the FA, Mark Bullingham, Greg Clark, and Richard Masters at the Premier League, that is a serious team. And, you know, it's doing extraordinary things. I think football is extraordinarily negative, though. And I think this is a message I'd have for fans, groups, etc. 
you don't always need to be so negative. You just need to be constructive. And if you read some of the nonsense that gets written, it, it just doesn't work because the Premier League is absolutely bringing in billions of pounds and there's loads of tax being gained from payers' wages and all of that. There's money being injected back into grassroots. You can argue whether it's enough, but it's more than any other nation on earth gets from its top league. And the same in terms of um, community funding and also in terms of funding for the EFL. Yeah, and the negativity is always, we want more. And it always frustrated me at a football league EFL level, sitting on that table, that that's what our message was, that's what our clubs wanted. Because it's time to grow up and start developing your own commercial approach, which matches the requirements you have and not overreaching uh, and expecting someone else to bail you out. You know, Kev, if you bought a Ferrari tomorrow or a Porsche tomorrow and three days later came to me and said, I can't afford the repayments, you've got to pay, you've got to help me um, uh, pay them. I would tell you, no offense, Kev, I like you, I'll buy you a drink, but I'm not going to pay that back. That's your fault. In football, we seem to think it's the Premier League's fault, and it's madness. And uh, we just need to get real about this. The Premier League is bringing income in in a way no other league is doing, and distributing it in a way that no other league's doing it. Not, not even Germany, anywhere like that. And by the way, in Germany, the government's built the stadium, stadiums, the stadia um, for them. This has all been built by our clubs and our leagues here. We should be proud of that. What we shouldn't be doing is making sure they are the la- they are the bank for everyone else. It's just crazy. Tell, tell me something, actually. It's, it's, I think we'll probably head towards a close because this it's taken me to a subject that I was I was actually just about to start recording a short um, podcast on it, uh, just a ten minute sort of weekly thought about an issue. And the issue that I was actually going to talk about was the relationship between leagues and fans, yeah. and. Um, Part of the reason was I was having a brief conversation a conversation this week on Twitter with a Newcastle United fan who was talking about, um, was trying to, work, trying to work out what was going on, you know, the stall takeover and the issues oh, yes. and why, you know, some suggestion that perhaps the, the league were being unfair. And I was trying to explain to, to this person and I was doing it with a guy called Ryan McKnight who used to be editor of FC Business Magazine and who's, you know, knows a lot about this stuff. Trying to explain that, look, you know, in the end, these rules are written ultimately the, the, the regulator the regulations a lot of them are are written by agreed by um voted on by clubs and you know we can have a conversation about whether we think self-regulation is, is okay or not i don't think it is but that's not the point that's the system and it occurred to me that is there you know there is there is most evidently self-evidently a, a, a stakeholder relationship between you know me as a fan and the efl or the premier league depending on what club we're talking about do you think that maybe, and this, you know, we're just looking at not criticisms, just at sort of what, what else could be done in order to kind of smooth these relationships and make them better? Do you think sometimes the leagues don't see that maybe they could they could do they could do a bit more um, communicating with fans more generally about the issues, particularly around things like regulation, which can become grit and you know sand in the cog, cogs, if you like, and actually good open dialogue maybe you might do it through you know sessions online doing q a's with rick parry or richard masters you know fans can chuck questions at them you know might that help when it does come to some of these more difficult times and also when it comes to 
saying they don't, the Premier League don't give us enough money or the Football League don't do this. So, you know, that maybe that would help um, in, in some of those, what creates some resilience, if you like. Kev, I couldn't agree more. When I was at the Football League, not EFL, um, one of the first things I identified as a major drag on their reputation and engagement was when clubs were deducted points, fans were understandably furious with the Football League. Now, let's put Wigan to one side and Bury to one side because those are bizarre cases which I, where I feel you know, for the fans because I'm not entirely sure how those situations have arisen because they shouldn't have arisen uh, based on rule books and all that, but they have. But when I was there, we put in place for the first time, and I believe this is still in place, I hope it is, a policy that we had a rule out of fan communication, including on the ground conversations with fans groups where I would go in theory, as soon as there was a deduction, I would go up there, do meetings with fans to explain to them, not what we were doing necessarily with them specifically, because there'd be stuff happening behind the scenes legally, etc., but in regard to our policies. So they were speaking from a position of knowledge when they were making representations to, in the media and to politicians, etc. Because the problem is it's all complex. You know, it's, there's a lot of legal and accountancy elements to this where you know, none of us would deal with these in our day-to-day jobs normally. So trying to educate people, and not, not only in a patronising way, is a sensible approach to engage people, but also let them see you and see that you don't want to do this. But the whole point of leagues are they're closed shops. You can't just walk up and decide you're going to be a member of the Football League or the EFL. You can't just do that. You've got to earn your place. And once you're in, you have a vote around the table. You're a shareholder, in effect. And um, that's the case. If someone is seen to be cheating, for instance, by not paying their way, paying their debts to society, whether that's taxation, whether it's other clubs, whatever, they've broken the rules. They're cheating. There must be a punishment. And when you actually take people through this and explain how the decision-making happens, people kind of get that when they put it in their own life. Uh, and they think, well, you're right. It isn't fair. The problem with this whole system is it starts to crumble whenever things like Wigan and Bury happen. <laughs> but the principle is you should absolutely do as much as you can to make sure people out there understand the rules and regulations in a very simplistic way. And um, so they have some base understanding. You know, the, the thing you were talking about in terms of owners and, uh, and directors test, those things are a legal minefield. And I know having sat on some of the uh, committees which looked at these for certain big name owners here and I in the Premier League, but I was then at the EFL. Um, and it, it's, it's not a cut of the jib test. It's not, do we like this person? It's a, it's got to be an odd, you know, it's got to be an objective, sticks to the facts test, not a subjective, do we like the sound of that? And in any case where there's complications, whether it's legally or whether it's related to rights or whatever it may be, that's going to be complicated and legally a minefield that no one can provide a running commentary on. And what you can do, though, is explain to fans the setup of the rules generally. But that's it. And I'm sure that's already been done. And I get that fans want a running commentary. But on some things, it's just not possible. 
Um, so there is there are difficulties. The one thing I always work with organisations to do is trying to make sure there's third parties who don't work for the organisation, who don't, who, who have no sort of financial connection to the organisation, but who understand the rules and regulations in detail, and who can go out and provide a legal overview of the reality of things to try and make sure fans get that. But it comes back to my point. Often the negativity overrides that because it's an easy headline to write. Fans are pissed off. It's not an easy headline to write. There is a reason why this is happening. 